Bienvenue dans l'Alcove. Ce soir, on reçoit Byron et Dexter Pert. Welcome to the Alcove. Tonight, our guests are Byron and Dexter Pert. So thank you all for coming. Uh, this is our third Alcove of the third season. Um, so for those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. And for those of you coming back to see us, it's always nice to have you here. So we're pleased uh, to say that this is the second time in Alcove history that the event sells out as quickly as it did, thanks to our guests. Uh, it certainly wasn't a surprise for us that Byron and Dexter drew a crowd, and we're especially happy to have them at this uh, pivotal moment in time when we know that there's some great things ahead. So I know that we will be discussing. Um, obviously, the crowd is very interested to no, know what, no pressure, what, what's next. <laughs> Uh, most of you guys know Byron and Dexter because of Want, Les Essentiels de la Vie, but there really is a lot more to these two than, than that. So um, tonight's going to be a real nice exercise to discover more about our guests. Mm -hmm. So Byron and Dexter are business partners who also happen to be twins. They've been covered by countless media outlets such as the New York Times, GQ, Fast Company, The Coveteur, and spotted in notable blogs such as The Sartorialist. As entrepreneurs, they set out on an adventure with a clear vision to create purposeful, intelligent, and beautiful tools for living, finely crafted with a universal appeal that would elevate the lives of the modern-day traveler. And so they did. Want les essentiels de la vie was born. For over a decade, they continued this bold exploration as they reimagined accessories for mobility in our ever-changing times. Today, they are ready to start a new adventure, all the while remaining inspired and dedicated to advocating for essentialism. Byron, Dexter, welcome to Alcove. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for coming. <laughs> so we're going to start with a lightning round of 20 questions. And the theme for this lightning round is something as cliche as twinning. Twinning. Right. So we can get that out of the way and get to... Like family feud or whatever. Sort of. And then we can get to the serious questions after. We both answer 20 questions? You do. Okay. So describe each other in one word. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, orderly, sort of. No, Get work pragmatic. Okay, and dreamer. Okay. okay. Do you have any other siblings? Two, Two older brothers. Now we're gonna do, twin. Do they feel left out? Never. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of think we have our own little party going on all the totally. time. Yeah, that's pretty much. Uh, how do you feel when you guys are apart? He feels lonely when I'm not with him. I think I do a little better without him. That's nice. <laughs> he, he just like set just the tone for this whole thing. I think thing. he wants this seat, actually. <laughs> uh, what's one of your happiest memories together? Being in Jamaica on holidays. When was this? Every summer and sometimes every winter. Okay. What were your first jobs out of college? Worked at a bank, both of us. Yeah. TD. <laughs> Specifically TD. Sure, I yeah. uh, Introverts or extroverts? Extroverts. Both of you. Definitely. Super extroverts. What Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what cologne do you both wear? Bal d'Afrique by Byredo. Sunday cologne, Byredo. All right. Favorite article of clothing you currently own and wear? I, I would say the t-shirt I'm wearing right now seems like weird, but yeah, the t-shirt, I have this in, I think, six colors. A cashmere t-shirt in... Just oh. different colors. It was want. He doesn't just wear casual. Wear no, 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 no. Sorry. We, we, yeah, a t-shirt that we designed and like to make a comfortable, easy t-shirt that even is cool right now, today. So. And you? And I had the polo version of the exact same shirt. And I would also say it was my favorite piece. Twinning, you asked for it. Byron's best quality in business. Uh, he's, a, he's a visionary. He's, and so it goes with the dreamy that I was talking about before. I think dreamy and visionary are probably two sides of the same coin. Um, he's always been the one who tries to push the conversation further. It's something that is, uh, has gotten us to where we are. And even when we're thinking about where we're going forward, I think we fight most of the time about like how far can we go with this? And he's the one who's always trying to take it further. It's supposed to be fast answers. Oh, that was fast. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Dexter's. I definitely a uh, collaborator getting the best out of people. Okay. What's the one thing that you wish you did better? Organize. Definitely. He just said you were organized. No, I was, no, he said I was pragmatic. pragmatic. I was, that's why I changed. Not organized. Like, not organized. <laughs> Be definitely the best thing we could is time management and organization. 
Okay. No question. Maria will agree. <laughs> you feel free to contribute. When was your I've made it moment? Uh, fast company. Fast company, for sure, definitely. I, the um, opening of our store in New York City, our, our, the Want Les Essentials store in the West Village. It was a lifetime dream. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you have the same trainer, you live in the same building, you go on vacation together. What is one thing that you keep totally separate? I have my wife and he has his husband. <laughs> Fair enough. And, most, and sometimes even, even that's kind of like, that, yeah, we, don't know yeah, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I was having dinner with his wife last night, so, but yeah. What's your go-to to decompress? My kids and my wife, a thousand percent. And yoga. I, I mean, uh, massages. Dexter goes to massage oh, yeah, to decompress. <laughs> Um, with my kids and my wife? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say the same for me is my, definitely being with spending time at home with my husband. Okay. No question. It's the only time I feel really peaceful. What's the most important feeling to have when you're wearing a pert design product? Comfortable. Confident. Yep. All right. If you could join any past or current band, what would it be? You too. You too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're forced to leave Montreal. Where do you live? New York City is I live there, so it's a cheat, but London. London. Would you live apart? We're kind of doing it We're now. kind of doing it now. It's like ish. a one-hour flight. Yeah, ish. We're doing it kind of now. Yeah. Okay. We'll uh, get into that. <laughs> <laughs> What's one dream you have not yet been able to realize? Wow. The stump question. The stump question. Um, we have a common one. It's a weird one. I don't know if I, like, that's weird to say, but I feel like the order of Canada would be a dream. And we share it. We've both shared it for a long time. Maria, take note. Yeah. I don't know if that's a weird thing to say, but... It is kind of a weird thing to say. No, no it's not. It's no. not. Okay. I have a lot of respect for people who've done that. All right, well... to society. Yeah. That was 20 questions. 20 questions. Wow, done. All right. All right. That was fun. So, and that's it. Thanks for coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, so usually for Alcove, we kind of do this in a chronological order. Hmm? However, in your case, I think that there's some pressing issues we want to get out of the way and discuss right off the bat. Um, so we're going to do things a little bit differently. Let's start with the fact that 2017 was... Uh, a very interesting and pivotal year for you guys. Um, you sold your stake in Want and you exited the business 15 years after having created it. Uh, you said that it was a natural progression and that it had run its course, that you started to realize that you wanted to do something in a different kind of process than what was actually happening. Um, to a lot of people out here, I think that Want, by definition, was Byron and Dexter. So my question to you is, why did you decide to put an end to something that was so successful and had become so synonymous with the both of you as individuals? I, I mean, I'll, I'll go. I mean, there's, there's no, I think for this to be super important and super personal, um, there's no right answers to how we make the choices that we make in our lives. And we, um, Bai and I, we've always been, and we kind of go by Bai index most of the time. Um, we've always been super instinctual and I think most of the time most people feel alone when they're making this pivotal choice in their lives. They're like, oh my god, what am I going to do? I'm thinking about leaving my job or I'm thinking about taking a chance with something and then they have to sort of realize that on their own. We've been very fortunate that we sort of live together, work together, and even when we sort of try to manage the fears that we have, we have each other. So it just seemed like... Um, we started this, and I, I think about Robin Patrick, I mean, I remember when we started Want with a little store 700 feet on St. Paul Street, and then afterwards, I think that now we got to the point where we we're like, how far can we take this? And it just kind of got to the moment where we decided that we neither needed to double down on this or let go and start anew. And I don't know if that's ever an easy decision, but it was the decision that I'd like to say that I made it on my own, but it was a sort of a collective decision of it being like, we can do something else. There's more to this story. And I kind of, I see this whole thing as, as, as sort of chapters in, in, our, in our life story. And this sort of needed to close for other opportunities to open. And we were, frankly, back to your question, Jen, I think in a lot of ways, we even defined ourselves by want. Mm. 
Um, to have the ability now to not see myself as you know the guy from want, and now it can be anything, is super liberating. And it's actually, I think, it, for the creative process as well as the commercial um, process, it just gives us so much more potential and so much more possibilities of what we can do. Yeah, I just want to add to that that when because you said it not in the wrong way, but that it had run its course. It's not like we thought that it had ended. I, I, I actually think it's a, it's the wrong message. And even when we were with our staff, there's so many people that contribute to this. It's, it's right. so much bigger than Dexton and myself. Always has been. Always has been. So um, I think for us, we just got to that point where, and Dexter said it appropriately, that chapter had closed for us, and it took us a while to get there. So and we knew that there was almost two ways to go. We either double down and push this thing, which is probably what many of you in the room would have been like, hey, go that route. And then there was just this clear, distinct opportunity to, to go a different road. And, and both are good options. And, and, but this is where we are today. How long did it take from that moment you guys started talking about it till you actually More than did two it? years. More than, yeah. More than two years. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, I mean, I could say that um, we, we, had the, we had the good fortune um, to, to sort of I'll, I'll tell the story in this way. We were honored with Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in 2015. Through that, we ended up having the op opportunity to get up on stage at C2 here in Montreal um, in, t in 2016. And at that point, we kind of got up on stage and we, and Bai and I had a moment of reflection. I mean, we're, to know us, we're the guys who had a shop in old Montreal, worked, worked, worked for the better part of a decade and a half, almost two decades, and never kind of took the time to sort of reflect on where we wanted to go long-term. We were just sort of creating, building, sort of in the moment. And I think it was the first time when we sort of decided that, um, what, was the, what was the conversation that we wanted to have as a company? What was the narrative that we wanted to tell as creative people? Um, and, and that was just this, this really interesting time over the last couple of years of really pushing ourselves to say, where do we really want to go with the stories that we want to tell? And, and who do we want to share those stories with? Um, and I think that that was the beginning. It sort of lit something in us that never went away. Um, I won't say it's because of C2 or because of Fast Company, but it was maybe it's this, this sort of rich moment in time where in the last couple of years with all the transformations that are happening in business and industry, it seemed like a, an important time for us to just sort of um, make a change, rejig everything. You talked about fear and how, That's you, know, what I was say. you know, being the two of you, you kind of had that sounding board and you didn't feel alone in making that decision. Um, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's at that crossroads, but that doesn't have that sounding board built into the whole, you know, thing? Yeah, look, we're very fortunate to be identical twins and have the other person, like, literally conjoined to you're, us. You're identical? Identical, yeah. I feel like you guys actually look quite different. Wow. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, the, uh, but I, the only, only thing I could say to that is that you have um, close friends, like these two came out together, um, family members. Uh, we all have people that are close to us. And I think fear is like, it's a big deal. And we, I'm, we're loaded with fear. And I think it's actually something that we're continuing. I could say for myself, I, I work at because it's, it's a, and I think it's a very natural human emotion that we don't give, enough, spend enough time talking about fear to our kids or in schools. But when you face that and you know that there's something on the other side, there always is something on the other side. And, and I believe it's always positive if you put your head in the right place. And I think for us, that's a, a luxury to just know somebody's on the other side is gonna be like, we got this. But I don't think that that's exclusive for, for twins to be able to have a support network like that. So I'd encourage people to find someone that they could lean in, be vulnerable with. Mm share those fears and their hopes and dreams and then those people will help to elevate you and get you to that point but it's not easy but it's a it's a necessary thing so you talk about kind of the other side and yeah. that's something that you know based on our discussions you guys hadn't necessarily thought of that as you were going through you know building want as an entrepreneur you often build something with the goal of letting it go and then building something else and so you guys have just gone into this yeah. very recently what has that been like Somebody, somebody never taught us about having an exit strategy 20 years ago. Because so, that's the first thing you're supposed to come up with when you build a business. Yeah, well, in theory, in theory, in theory. Um, when we were building the, our business, um, and it, 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 we were always thinking about so many things about the human element of it and also about 
um, sort of creating these really interesting and amazing products that we never, we never took the time to think about what it looked like without us. Yeah. So we never separated ourselves from the company. It was, it was, um, it was a vehicle for us to be able to tell stories. And I think that now, looking back, it is important to sort of understand and establish your relationship with your company and your business, um, where your business and your company lives and lives well without you, and that you can actually build a life without the business having to be such an important part of your life. We'll get to what you guys are working on next, but is that something that you'll be thinking of as you build your next endeavor? Yeah, absolutely. Back to the fear. I, I strongly believe that the fear, when you're saying, how do you know what's on the other side? The point is you actually don't know. And I, so fears are of the unknown. It, it, I mean, it might sound obvious, but um, we don't know exactly where this is going to end up. And, and that, to me, is actually used the word liberating before. That feels good. I, I feel that if we had a very precise plan of what it looks like, we were, if I said two hours ago, we were kind of like yelling at each other with different versions of it. And I think that's what makes, so you have to be uncomfortable with not knowing exactly where you're going, but it's the work, it's the steps to that journey that you're going to get to ultimately, which becomes interesting. I feel like, do you guys feel like you got kind of the answer to the question of what happened? Are we good with that? Yes? Oh, is that a big question? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think it's, it's important. It's a big life change. Don't be afraid of change. I guess that's the underlying. Yeah. Totally. So let's go way, way, way back. Yeah. You guys have mentioned that um, you know, you're living the life that you dreamed of when you were 12 years old. 100%. Uh, and when you thought of creating something in the fashion world. The story of Byron and Dexter often starts at the same place, which is you started at Miss 60, you were at Diesel, you got this vision of Scandinavian, you know, fashion and lifestyle, and you guys created want. Yes. What, what happened between I'm 12 and I want to live in fashion and... We're working at two big companies. We our, par our parents made us do. Uh, That's a pretty yeah, <laughs> Our parents made us go to school in business. Yeah. And we sold sunglasses on the beach in Jamaica. We came up with a T-shirt company um, called BID with Byron Dexter and a friend of ours, Ian, a fraternity brother. Um, we you guys were in a frat. We were in a fraternity. We started a. Um, I don't even know how to say this, but we started a lip balm makeup company in school in grade six that we, we we hawked to pretty much every girl in school really which was seven up and vaseline Ew. mixed together in these little little dishes how, mu how much did this retail I have for no idea how much we sold them for but we we that was actually our first entrepreneurial experience yeah like sure. without fail everyone we've had here that's been an entrepreneur has that story of being a kid like hustling and trying yeah, to sell we were, something we were hustling we were we were buying stuff at giant tiger packing it into our suitcases and selling sunglasses and watches, watches on the beach in Jamaica. Like in a coat? No, on Pretty the beach. Much. Like kind of like <laughs> in these really cool bags, actually. <laughs> Did that give you kind of the desire to like, I don't know what this is, but I want to keep doing this? Yeah. I mean, the two things. One, we're, we're, I think we're both, we're people people. Like we like and sales and marketing and all that. And you ask for extroverts. So being out in places and just like, interacting with people and it's it makes us feel good so i think that that's a natural element and then i think we're very we are very market savvy like we tend to feel like we could bring things to people that they don't know that they want at, uh, on yet so that could be sunglasses in jamaica or a bag in in you'd in think Milan. that they they, they yeah. figured sunglasses, <laughs> they figured sunglasses like. yeah, yeah. Or, or sprite in a tube or sprite in a, in a tube in grade six yeah that's what we do um so when, let's kind of go back to, to want still and explain this to me. Still as in style? style in Swedish. Okay. Yeah. So want still. Mm -hmm. uh, when you opened up that store, you said that there really was nowhere in North America that was selling kind of that Scandinavian aesthetic, whether it was for clothes, uh, accessories, or home goods. What was your mission at the outset in creating that? Did you have a plan? No. <laughs> No, we didn't have a plan, but I think what Byron was right. I think we've always had um, had a tendency to understand what was about to come. Um, when you put that into perspective, I was over at Miss 60, Byron was over at Diesel. Everything was kind of hyper-embellished, um, ripped, torn, logos everywhere. And then we had a sensibility, and this is now literally 1999, so we're, we're almost back 20 years, so we are older than we look probably. But um, 
I, and I remember Byron was in Stockholm on a, on a trip, and then he called me. I was in Italy at the time, and he said, I just found this amazing brand in Sweden. And we had never been to Sweden, but he was there um, on a trip. And then we kind of got there, and it felt in Stockholm a lot like Montreal, but better in the sense of everything was design-focused and design-oriented. Um, and it almost felt like they had encapsulated this new identity of what fashion and design and a more modern, um, cleaner, more minimal look could look like um, that we paid attention to because we've always sort of been into Japanese and, and sort of Scandinavian design. And he's like, I just found this brand and I think this, as the story goes, and he found um, Acne um, in, a, in a department store and they had just started selling and there was four people working in Acne and the, sort of the rest was history so on, on, on the Swedish design thing. And then afterwards, Within six months, we ended up bringing a bunch of Scandinavian brands over here. And the joke was, was that there's this black guy running around Sweden who's bringing all of these <laughs> Swedish companies back to North America. And we joked that he was the black Swede because he was kind of this guy going back and forth and bringing, exporting this sort of cultural vibrancy of what Sweden was about or Scandinavian in, gen Scandinavian in general, and then exporting that to the, you know, the best department stores in North America. And that's how, that's how this, it's what we sort of grew from a shop in old Montreal to a bigger business. I think that's kind of the interesting part is that you took the fact that you, know, you were selling these items, but it wasn't enough to sustain you year round. And so that's kind of how you guys developed the agency. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's I guess we don't make our lives easy. We went. Um, to Dexter's point, a couple of Canadian black guys who ended up in Sweden bringing Scandinavian brands here, then open up our first store in Old Montreal when there was no retail. Like, so we were not, not but there, there were other places. There was this. <laughs> there, was, there was this, and there was a leaving Gomado, but there was no retail, so that was also a first. But that's how we are. We tend to like to do things first and, 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 and catch things early on. And then, so when you're saying about the agency, that was a more natural. We, we're also adapt pretty quickly as well yeah. too. We opened up a store in Old Montreal at that time. In the summer, it was super busy and packed. And in the winter, we could literally sit in the store and just like watch the snow outside of the, the window, like pass by like those little um, There was literally snow. nobody. Nobody. No, and they didn't even clean the streets back there. So no, I don't even know why anyone would come. So then we said we're, we were a little bit pragmatic and we said, okay, well, what's the next step? And then we started bringing the brands to New York, actually, even before Canada. And we, we found partners in New York and, and we're like, listen, we got these this brand and Punk Royal and Acne and Nudie Jeans and 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 started developing the agency. Punk Royal. Yeah, yeah, we're the ones who yeah, yeah Punk Royal. Two thousand. Yeah. It's very cool. It was very cool. Mm. Yeah. Um so I think what's interesting in that is that people kind of think that you guys are synonymous with like this cutting-edge fashion, but I see it even more as a business opportunity. You saw that there was this opening in the market, nobody was doing this, and you guys even turned it into something a little bit more lucrative by creating the agency. Was that what was driving you? Was it the business aspect, or was it really more the fashion? A combination of both. I think we are, we, uh, um, we've always been about a story about design. I think at, at the core, somebody said, like, what are Byron and Dex are kind of like really into? Um, we get very excited when we see people who are creating beautiful things, whether it's a good or a service, and they're doing it extremely well. Still to this day, um, we were in New York five days ago um, you know, at a show, and Brian and I still go on the hunt. We're always looking for who's come up with this really interesting way of presenting something that feels new, feels fresh, feels quality, um, has great value, and, and that's sort of in us. It's almost innate. So I think at the very beginning, at the core of, of whether it's a commercial enterprise or a creative enterprise, we've always been looking at who's doing really amazing stuff that, that can kind of improve people's lives, but at the same time just looks fantastic. So that's a great segue to something that we discussed when we met. Um, you know, you, you talked about the example of C2 and how that got you thinking about what you guys were doing, what you guys were all about. And you came up with this idea that you had these four guiding principles for an item that would be defined as essential. And that, that was have a purpose, be intelligent, be beautiful, and be universal. Tell us a little bit about what that means concretely. What, how did you guys come to that kind of essence of those four things? If we came to it by, by self-analyzing what we do and where our value set was, um, I, I think we, we have this other saying in, in when we were working, we said always consistent and always essential. And it was just something we had internal 
But there, we started to look, what is the common thread that's run for the 20 years that we've been doing this? And, the, and Dexter was talking about the brands that we look for, and all of them have had a really, really strong point of view. And, that they, and they all come with these base, basis points of those four pillars, and that's how we've always approached design. So it was like, that's clear. Now, how do we not only distill that value set, but then also design into that and make sure that every, everything, all of the touch points that we work with are, it's almost like a guide, it's a guiding principle, mm -hmm. actually. The purpose side was that anything that's, that we think should have value, because the question was actually about essentialism, and at the end of the day, what truly needs to exist. It was a question we were asking ourselves, like whether it's a glass or the chair that you're sitting on, and we're like, it has to have a purpose, and that means that from how it was designed, how it was conceived, how it's gonna live on the earth, and, then, and, and where it goes afterwards. The whole, beyond sustainability, but that there's a real use and intention and a raison d'etre, mm -hmm. that was, that has, and there's so much stuff that we know, and we, and I'm like, we're consumers. There's a lot of stuff that you could buy, and we do, but at the end of the day, if it's not purposeful, if it doesn't have a, a strong intention, then we're kind of like, it's disposable mm -hmm. and, and less interesting. On the intelligent side, I'll let you do the last two. Um, we also think it's important that things evolve and adapt with you and throughout your use. We're 45 years old today, and I, and, and we've designed this way is that, um, we think it's important whether it it's, could be a, a chair, could be a shirt, but it needs to follow you that if you're, if you're pregnant, if you're going to a business meeting or if you're going to um, a holiday vacation, that should work for all occasions. It means it's going to be more durable. It's something that you're going to use. It's going to, it plays a role in your life. So this whole idea of something that is intelligent means that it adapts to your needs as your needs change and as the world changes around you, that's another thing that we think is, is essential in, in terms of the design. Yeah, and, and you, I think that sometimes good business ideas come out of just pure frustration. Um, and our frustration has been that just, just uh, I think Barty spoke about it a little bit before, that there's just been so much stuff available at all different price points, half of it's crap. Um, how do you hone in and zone in to things that are intentional, things that have purpose and things that have intelligence? And, and in this particular case, also things that are beautiful. And we were trying to say to ourselves, you know, Who's making things with a natural intention? Who's where, where it's sculpted and built to be beautiful and therefore lasting and therefore valuable and therefore not on sale or not in the trash? And so they're kind of these almost existential questions, but we think they're design questions. We also think they're consumer questions of like when you're about to look at something and you're about to purchase it or you want to have this in your home, like does this marry with who you are? Is this a beautiful element that's going to be within your life? And I think this concept of beauty and, and sort of looking at these natural intentions of things was something that we think is super key um, to, to something being essential. And then the last point, which I think is, is huge for us, is this idea of things not necessarily having to be in these categories. So this is the concept of something being universal, and Barnes spoke a little bit about it in the intelligence, was really that it has more appeal to it than just for one person in one way. That ultimately, or one demographic. Or one demographic. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, and, and we're, we're really fascinated by this idea of things being more timeless, things being more ageless, things being more genderless. Um, it just seems so much more what things should be about now. The conversation needs to move less to um, this idea of categories and filters and boxes, and then all of us are within a box. Um, and we're starting to think of, one example, I think, which proved to be that was this O'Hare bag that we ended up making in our old business, um, which was our most successful bag in our in our brand. But you know, I steal my wife's. I mean, it's her. We both use the same bag. It doesn't have a gender. It doesn't have. Um, it doesn't. It's not for dressing up or dressing down. This becomes a product that you use every day, and we love this idea of things that are sort of for everyone, every day, everywhere. And that idea becomes so much more democratic and mm -hmm. really builds onto something that we really very strongly about in our intention and also in the narrative that we want to talk about. So I think that want was definitely anchored in those four principles. What you do now moving forward, will you still abide by those four principles? Even further. I want to go even further. Yeah, absolutely. Much further. And I think all businesses and all brands and all people need to sort of push through and start um, identifying for themselves what is truly essential in your life. And then I think they start making better choices. Ultimately, whether we're, whether we're creative or whether we're commercial merchants, the question still remains the same. It's like, what is going to be in your life that's going to help 
improve and create a better life for you mm. and, and for others. And then once you start sort of filtering the equation with that question, then I think it starts becoming a lot more interesting. And then you start making choices. You almost get in command of the things that surround you. It's fascinating. So before we jump to the future, I just, I do want to talk about, um, you know, everyone loves to hear about the struggles and how you got through, you know, those hard times. And when there was the, obviously the financial crisis, this was a hard moment for you guys. And it was a bit of a make or break situation with want. You didn't know that you could actually survive that. And what ended up being your saving grace was this collaboration with J. Crew. Looking back, um, at you know how that kind of unfolded, would you have done it the same way? Did you feel like that was a sustainable way to grow, to kind of latch on to a big name brand that did or didn't align necessarily with what you guys were trying to be to get that recognition and, and continue forward? Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. And they did align actually quite closely. And I think that's where Dex and I are trying. We we spent a lot of time thinking about this and discussing this inside of our team, because but J. Crew Before you actually before did we it. Did it. <laughs> but um, we had the good fortune of, of meeting Mickey Drexler, who was a fan of what we were doing, and Jenna Lyons at the time. They were completely changing the face of that, of that, that, that medium um, fashion area. And we were like, let's be a part of that. Let's help them go to the distance of where they wanted to go. And that was exciting for us, because we, we felt like we had the authority to do that in a certain way. And we knew that they were coming to us with the right intentions, that they were that they really wanted to us also give us a platform to present our products and our brand to people that might not otherwise know what it was at the time. So 100 percent and I actually think we we because of that, we did more things like that afterwards as well, too, um, where we weren't just in a box. Mm -hmm. Super important um, for brands and, and for a brand like ours, which was quite strict and defined to do things that still surprise the customer. I think um, Mickey said something to us. I remember um, we were together, and this is exactly at the same time when this, it was a heritage moment, like Penfield and Woolrich, and sort of all of these brands were speaking about their provenance and their heritage. And then Mickey said, uh, and we said, you know, we don't sort of see ourselves as a heritage brand, and they were kind of picking off some of that. And then afterwards, Mickey said, well, Dexter, you're wrong. You know, maybe you guys are a heritage brand, you're just not 100 years old yet. And that was fascinating that he was our heritage is happening now. now. And it was fascinating when, I mean, you're sitting there with, I mean, Mickey Drexler, and then he's like, you know, this brand could have 100 years. And you guys and the decisions you're making within those 100 years, this is a moment in time. And that was sort of very hyper-reflective for us, is to, to sort of understand how you were navigating a brand, but also that the brand had longevity, that it had a position over a longer period of time. And that's, I think that empowered us and it emboldened yeah. us to make the decision that you know, yeah, these are all going to be decisions you make, but hopefully in the scheme of things, decisions within 100 years. So maybe yeah. some people will notice and other people won't. I'm just going to add a small anecdote to that. That all was happening actually after the crisis. And yeah. I, the reason I say that is because in during the crisis, which was an incredibly difficult time for fashion brands, and it was a cleaning up moment, which was a good thing for, for, for the fashion industry, but we actually had the opposite outcome. We did really, really well by that period of time. We were just at the right point of our rise where the brand, the, the stores and partners that we were working with were seeing potential in us and they were actually having to make hard decisions. They were deciding what are the brands, who are the designers, where do we want to put our attention? If we had 200 brands in our portfolio and we have to go to 80, then these ones go. And we pretty consistently stayed off the cutting room floor. And I think it's because of all the work and relationships that we had done and built with, with those brands. We kept them thinking that we were still interesting and we had a longer runway. And it's just a, as a teaching moment, I think when I look at the brands that lost their way at that time, it's because they weren't showing the market that they still had, they had um, a life to offer. Yeah, and longevity. So now on to act two. On to act two. The four. future. Yeah. Oh, um, so your time off, you've taken some time off. Yeah. Uh, it has been quite, you know, pivotal for you guys. It's been really important for you to decide because I think from what you guys have said, you didn't really know what you were going to do next when you guys decided to kind of put an end to the project you'd been working on for the last 15 years. Um, and you, you mentioned that this was an exploration stage in your life. You guys went to Africa in November with the UN. You've done some really incredible things. 
How has the last few months shaped what's coming up next? No, we actually went to Bureau on Grove and Byron bought a whiteboard. And so let's start talking about what we're going to do next. And I was like, no, let's stop for the first time, yeah. you know. And reflect. And reflect. Reflect, take stock in it, get closer with our, I mean, our families, our friends, the city of Montreal. If I, I mean, literally, we went out and toured all these. We went up to the mountain one day and just like walked around. Um, yeah, no, just to, just to be free and, and not have that... It's a weight. You don't realize how much, whether you're starting a small business or if you're at a further, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot of weight. So. Yeah, we, we have like, huge teams that we cared about, um, but we still continue to care about. I mean, it's a business, right? So um, we were building on something and then afterwards you, you step away from that. And I think in a lot of ways that defines you. Um, and then afterwards that whole part of your life no longer has to define you. Um, so that was a really important time. I mean, I'll digress for a second to say that about nine months earlier, we were in Paris with um, a very good friend of ours that we had known for 15 years. And this is super random. Out of the blue, we're having drinks, it's late at night, and he says to us, when was the last time you guys were just brothers? And it was the strangest thing, and he knows us really well. And I looked at Byron and I was, I mean, obviously you can see that we're rarely speechless. I was totally, totally speechless. And I couldn't remember the last time I was just brothers with him. And brothers with him the way I am with my other two brothers. Because we're business partners, we're creative partners. And I wasn't ever just as, I haven't really been just his brother for 20 years. And so we had this fascinating opportunity to just be, like to take stock in the fact that, you know, we did this really great run together. And while he's talking about the rosé, I mean, there is a real true story where we're sitting on the rooftop of a, of a place here. And, and, then, and then afterwards, I was like, dude, you know, we can kind of split up now if we really wanted to. Like, there's, this is the moment when we can even go our separate ways. We're 44 or 45. We, like, that's not happening, is it? No, so then afterwards, okay. so then, I, then afterwards, he's like... That was the quickest decision. It was about 15 minutes. So then Barney's like... <laughs> So then Barney's like, well, I kind of really want to work with you next. And I was like, okay, great, because I really want to work with you. I'm like, great. So now that that's out of the way, we have another bottle of rosé. And then, and then so we were there from there. So that's really what, and then, and then that created, but it, the truth is, is that that sort of, I think that moment, for me anyways, it, um, it provided an opportunity for us to just reframe our relationship, um, but also take a little bit of pressure off what we had to do together in this moment in time. And that was it was, a, it was a wonderful moment for me. I mean, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. And you guys are the first people that ever heard that story. Um, so you guys have had time to think about all of this. Who are you today? I am optimistic. Um, very. Um, I, 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 they, they make fun of me because I'm like, I'm, I'm a bit of a complainer, but I'm always just like, this is wrong and this. But I'm quite optimistic about that we can do something that will make a change in the world. Um, and that's not, that could sound big, but it's not. I think we all do things every day that make a change. But I, I, I'm optimistic that things don't feel right to, uh, to me. I think I could speak for both of us. And we want to enact change and not sit on the sidelines of, of that. And that's from a social element, from a design element, from a consumption element, um, not political, but like for in, in, in those rounds, yeah. Yeah. So I feel I feel I feel I feel good. I feel optimistic, but I'm also um, I'm a, I feel a little fearful still. So that's uh, because it's like what what scares you? I I feel like we are potentially going to bite off something that's much bigger than ourselves, 
And it's, I'm fearful of that, but I'm excited by that and optimistic because it's going to encourage both of us, I think I could speak for Dexter as well, to bring more people into some, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, this broader mission and, and, and movement of where we want to go. I, I feel like we've always been we've always been sort of building building this element of culture uh, and community. I think it's been at the core of who we are. I think we're getting more and more comfortable with this idea of us being leaders um, and playing a leadership role in the conversation. Um, in the sense of we're not Barton just said it. We're not super happy with with how we see things. We think trend lines are moving in different directions, and we think we have to be a part of the answer. If you just take fashion. Um, when I look at the model and when I look at how business is done right now, to me it's not acceptable on a, on a variety of different dimensions. And I feel like the system's kind of broken and I feel it's our responsibility to show another way. It doesn't have to be the right way, it's just Byron and Dexter's way. And that way is the path forward for us and the conversations that we're having right now are, you know, if we were trying to build out... Yeah, I'm gonna go back again. Somebody said to me a year ago, if, we, if you started Want, he started his business at the exact same time that we started uh, Want Les Essentiels. So it's literally 10, 11 years ago. And he said, if we started like his brand and our brand today, wouldn't it have been anything like we had started it? And the answer is a resounding no. Yeah. Like it's not even close. So what we did and we're, we've been somewhat celebrated for you know, 10 or 11 years ago isn't even the way we would build a business today for a variety of reasons. I mean, the technological, the technological changes and all the other tectonic shifts in the, in the industry. So we have this amazing opportunity right now to use our experience, our knowledge, our network, and also the confidence and, and to fuel how we see what 10 years from now or five years from now or three years from now um, the market's going to look like. And for us as curious beings, that's extremely fascinating. Uh, for I think we spend all of our time saying, what's this going to look like? How does this shake out? You know, how, to not be you know, Polaroid that didn't come out with Instagram. Like, how, do you, how does this shake out where we present another version of how people will interact with, collaborate with, share with, the products and services that they use in their lives every single day. So for you guys at this point in time, is the purpose more meaningful to you than the actual product or service? The purpose was always more meaningful. Um, the fascinating part about where we were in Juan, of course we were making bags, but it was wildly exciting that there was a person behind that bag who was using this product every single day and she had a story and she was going somewhere with it. And we had an opportunity to play like a small supporting companion role in her life. Mm -hmm. That was way, always way more fascinating to us than the fact that there was of the confection of making a bag yeah. that was really beautiful. And I think that Bai and I have always been um, really interested in that, in the extra, in the plus. So if we get kind of into the nitty gritty of the socially conscious Byron and Dexter. Um, personally, you both have been involved in different causes. Um, you've been involved with DESTA, which stands for? I don't even know what DESTA stands for. Do I know what DESTA stands for? Really? Do I know what DESTA stands for? I don't know what DESTA Maria? stands for. Maria? Dear, I'll choose as my father. Tell us what DESTA does. Okay, well, I can do, I, that I can do really, really well. Um, without knowing what the acronym of, of, of DESTA is for. But um, DESTA is uh, a project that started um, in and around 10, 11, 12, 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, the intention was, it was started by this woman named Frances. She wanted to create a, um, better conditions where people can have a place to come to that if they had problems in their lives, whether they were social problems, economic problems, um, uh, judicial problems that they had somewhere to go and these were black youths that were living in Little Burgundy and her goal and her mission was to create a safe zone and a safe space for them. I think the in Montreal there was a there was a phenomenal appetite to be able to help this project and over the course of this long time and my wife's played an active role in this as well too but there's a lot of great people who have been working towards making Desta a realization. The great news about Desta now is that it's sort of now morphing itself into being more. There's now um, opportunities for um, education, um, job training, job placement, 
um, business planning. So now they're really sort of taking this to a whole other level to give these youths an ability to be able to start their business or to join a company. And for us, it's ex obviously, it's extremely exciting to be um, even a, a minor um, player in all of that success. And you? I, I'm, I work, I'm closely involved with an organization called GRI Montréal, which is Group de Recherche et Intervention Sociale. Um, then, so, <laughs> gotcha. Um, they've um, been around for, I believe it's 20, 22 years now. I'm also on, uh, on their fundraising committee. Amazing organization that I was introduced to through a friend. Um, it, uh, what the organization does is we go to, and some of you guys maybe had interventions in, in, in your schools, um, we'll go into classrooms, students of all ages from, I, I believe, starting around 12 or 13 all the way into CGEPs. We're also going to seniors now as well too, and new immigrants in Montreal. And we recount real life stories of gays, lesbians, um, they, we're talking in tra with tra about transsexuals as well now, but it's actually for gays, lesbians, and bisexuals. And we just go tell our story. I came out 11 years ago. I'm 45. I came out when I was 34. Yeah, I came out when I was 34. That, that could be in the questions and answers afterwards. Uh, late bloomer, I think someone said over there. And it's been really reassuring for me to go and tell my story and then also meet. It's not about going to, to meet students who are gay or aren't gay. It's so that they could be socialized to meet people who are doing things in real things in their lives and, and just get to know a different narrative than what they might be reading or seeing on television or being exposed to in society. So it's an amazing organization. I would encourage everybody here to look into it if you haven't already. And uh, yeah, doing great work. And it, it's very, very fulfilling to me. And um, uh, but that's like going back to your question. These are I want to say they're personal, um, but what they do is they light up like your need and you start to see how small actions that you do or large mm -hmm. can make it such a difference and profound difference to, to individuals or organizations and the like. So I think that that has permeated into our work. And I think sometimes people are like, well, your work could go this way if you have a personal life in philanthropy or, or in, in, in community service. But we're like, well, wouldn't it be great if our business could do both? So, so you do have a project. We do have a project. Tell uh, everybody. No, I mean, now I feel like discouraged because I, we're not being coy. I'm not, I'm not, and we're not, I, I could say for myself, we're not holding uh, cards to the chest. Dexter uh, brought up, I think, the most honest point is that we started feeling uncomfortable in the industry that we love. We grew up, and Deanna could attest to it. I mean, we, we love, I, we, there's so much to love about the fashion business. It's one of the largest employers in the world. It's, it's change. Um, and that's, from a creative standpoint, that's exciting. Uh, but fashion is also a very, very big business. And because it's a very big business, that also has other elements that didn't sit as well with us in terms of, of, of we felt like we were in a system that we didn't belong in. So um, I think and when Dexter says, how would we do it? We probably wouldn't have entered it into, I mean, it's great to sell to Colette and Barney's and, and on all these stores, but you then fall into this way of working. And the big machine. The big machines is how you ship, when you ship. Uh, what the cycles are for, how the designs are done, how the markdowns are done. And we're just like, we just made a bag that took us like two years to design. And then three months after it's in a store, you're, you're, I'm getting an email from a customer that says it's on sale. And I was like, that's not what we tried to do. Like, so then I think there's a whole reshaping of that. So um, Dex and I are very much, we've always been inspired by interiors and architecture. Um, I think that's a natural uh, space and universe and fits more neatly with, I think, where we both feel we are today mm -hmm. um, from a creative level to, to work on, on, um, on interiors, home products, things that are close to you, the things that comfort you, um, the things that you have in your home, the things that you move with, the things that you don't throw away, the things that you love, the things that you give to someone that you love. That's the kind of runway of what we feel is really interesting. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I don't know. Said, did that answer the question? No. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. So yeah, design with good, I can make it short. We are going to be in the space of good design with good purpose. Like, and what that means, I could, that's why I said I wasn't being coy. We don't know exactly where that ends up, but if you're a customer and those two things matter to you equally and collectively, then we want to present something for you. We want to start a discussion with you. Um, we want you to meet us in various places. Um, we want you to change people's mindsets and behavior of how they see the world, what things they consume, where they want to make their investments. That's, that's the lane that we want to be in.
So if, if that manifests itself in a store, does that manifest itself in an online shop? Does, is, that, is that a, a TV show? Whatever that comes out to be, it'll, it's, it's all about having the same intention and educating and also showing people a different way. And by the way, I did say he was the dreamer. I think I started this out like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think Bai hit it, hit the nail on the head. We, for the first time, and for you guys to capture exactly where we are, um, personally and professionally right now, for the first time, we can kind of do anything um, in, in, in our lives right now. And we don't see ourselves sort of locked into one singular idea of what this can be. Um, I think what we've been doing right now is asking ourselves these really important questions. That and are asking important. people, other people, yeah. we're like trying to bring other people to understand what are, what are you looking for? What are you missing in your life? What are your pain points? And, and that's been, um, it's been, I mean, we're seven months into our retirement. You'll still see us drinking rosé all summer long. Yeah. So yeah. you could hold, everyone could, yeah. Yeah, but I think, but I think, I think um, what, what, I, what I said before, and I think it's, it's really important, we, I think we've, We've got a good idea of what culturally feels right right now to us. And we will create that culture. And it will be a business, it will be a brand, there will be a story, um, and we will build it from scratch. And so the rest of it is for you guys to imagine um, what that could be. But I think it will feel very different than want in the sense of, of how it presents itself. Um, but at the same time, it will be us now, um, in, as, as we are in 2018 and, and how we see ourselves in 2021. I think that's a perfect, that a perfect way to, yeah. to close it off. Thank you both for being very candid. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this Alcove Nomad Microconference. Join us in person for the next one or visit alcovemoments.com for all the details. Merci d'avoir été des nôtres dans cette micro-conférence nomade Alcove. Joignez-vous à nous pour la prochaine conférence. Visitez alcovemoments.com pour tous les détails.